0: Devin and Morgana have been celebrating midlife love by getting married a hundred times in a hundred countries. They believe grown up love gets better and more fun, especially for women. Everyone's smarter, wiser, men are more relationship ready, and if they're not, it's obvious. Forget anything you were told about being too old or too late for love and adventure. Instead, get fresh new tips on dating, relating, and travel to exotic destinations. And best of all, call in for personal guidance, creating crazy, sexy, midlife love in your life.
1: Hello, welcome to Crazy, Sexy, Midlife Love. My name is Morgana, and this is my husband, Devin. And if you're just joining us, Devin and I are 12. 25 weddings deep into getting married 100 times in 100 countries, Devin's idea, because we love each other, and we love travel, and that was my dream all along, was to travel the world with the love of my life. So here we are. Hello, Devin.
2: Oh, (laughs) is it my turn? Okay, yes, I'm here. I'm Devin. I'm your husband. Yeah. So we're going to talk about things that, with any luck, will be a little bit crazy and a little bit sexy, and certainly midlife. I think that, for us, is unavoidable
1: yeah things are feeling very crazy for me right now. I'm sure Devin hasn't noticed at all. No no.
2: Um, no yeah. that's why I sit here with a mild <laughs> trying to hide a smirk as best I can.
1: <laughs> and failing as usual And
2: failing right That is my middle name.
1: Um, yeah we're we're about to leave from Mexico where I'm leading my tenth ultimate money goddess immersion my retreat that I've done nine times in Bali. This is the first time in San Miguel. So the differences of like where we're staying and the pickups and the activities uh, and just down to like, how are we gonna have breakfast? All this kind of stuff is like totally different. The things that I've always been able to count on, it's just, you know, it's, we're gonna make it up as we go along. So there's that, um, excitement because things are falling into place, and they are going to be new experiences that I haven't had and that I haven't introduced to my retreat. The centerpiece is still going to be coaching, like women from Thailand to Kazakhstan to South Africa to Norway to Israel to everywhere, Peru, lots of South America Americans. too, and Americans. Right, well, just wanted to, yeah, just wanted okay. to throw that in there. You know, they've been they've been gathering me gathering with me for years in these really intimate, tiny micro retreats of like four to eight women to transform relationship with money, love and life. And oh, cool news. So Gabriella, who went with me on the retreat in 2013, when she was 23, the youngest I've ever had that. So that was, I guess, eight years ago. Today, she is the CEO of wall or latina wall street and she is married she just had her second wedding to her one husband a couple weeks ago she is living the high life on a beach in puerto rico she has a billboard in times square and yesterday she announced she is pregnant Ah, so that's great right yeah. Isn't that you and Devin coached her? I coached her on relationship with money, and that's when her business took off. She was just like had hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt, and she wasn't getting any jobs in the field that she wanted. And after my retreat, that was when she started getting the job interviews and the job books and booking started making loads of money, had to learn how to invest it, and now she teaches investment to people as she says people who look like her who have you know which is a really giant portion of the planet who have just been ignored. I think she's on the Forbes Business Council. So the the um, yay, <laughs> money, love, lifestyle, legacy and now a baby. Uh, yay, Gabriella, you can uh, find her on Instagram at Gabby Wall Street. So um I don't remember. Oh, right. So the reason I brought that up is so now I'm leading my 10th retreat, first one in Mexico, and I'm going kind of crazy because time is running out and I'm, you know, tying up all the loose ends and figuring out, well, maybe not safe to do this because of COVID this year. So maybe we can do that. It still centers on the coaching. That's, you know, that's the stuff that's the easiest to control. But I also want to create an experience for the women who are coming so yeah crazy on the on this list of crazy sexy midlife love crazy is definitely leading this week for me and look at what a good sport my husband is he's practically biting his lip to not say anything
2: no this is just gas (laughs) excuse me
1: okay um so today's show is going to be about travel um we have a super guest coming who, uh, polio survivor, and she's in her seventies and she travels and she writes about it. She is the author of No Spring Chicken. Uh, And so we wanted to invite her because if you are there saying, I can't travel because, because of this limitation or that limitation, especially especially physical limitations, we really, really want to, you know, help you with that because travel is important. And, and we will, so we will be inviting Francine Falk Allen uh, in, you know, to uh, be in the room in just a moment. But before, before we dive into the interview, a little more about cr- the crazy and the aging. Um, yesterday, Devin and I were uh, in the car and some great In Excess song came up that's really, you know, our era. And we're kind of bouncing around singing along and thinking about Michael Hutchins, beautiful, talented guy who committed suicide, which is just like, you know, it doesn't matter what things look like on the outside. You just don't know what's going on on the inside. You can't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. And that brought up, Devin, you brought up that reality TV show.
2: Right, there was a reality TV show basically created in order to find, so basically uh, in excess, like capital I, capital N, capital X, capital S.
1: If you're of our era, you already know this. Yeah, you already know this, but
2: (laughs) I'm just doing it anyway. So so there was this band, obviously this tragic thing occurred, but the band wanted to go on. And so what they did was, is they had, if I remember correctly, it was one of the first reality shows that had ever been. And so long story short they got sort of like a they filled a mansion with a bunch of people who wanted to be you know front men or front women of a rock band and they would every week an
1: iconic rock band iconic
2: rock band and slowly but surely they'd weed people out in order to find the band and i think what we started discussing is we, we both remember the show and what i remember was is that they had they had picked a guy that was like oh this guy is this guy is terrible in my opinion except once the guy they picked all of a sudden they they put him on stage with the band I was like oh no no the band nailed it yeah. the band picked the right the right guy
1: yeah i didn't think he was terrible i just there was this other guy who I thought was so much more innovative and interesting and artistic, and and I was rooting for that guy. And they picked the cute guy from Vegas. Well, like, but the,
2: but, the, but the cute guy from Vegas was the band. He I don't had
1: think, right the well, band wasn't the swag, you right. know, the swagger, and and so. And then what happened to NXS? Like, uh,
2: well, it, so this is what my my genius thoughts. Yeah. On this entire thing was, is that so here's this band that is basically they're hoping to find a replacement guy so they can continue to replicate their past glory. It was a
1: brilliant marketing scheme to get relevant again once their star was gone, but they sort of became a cover band of themselves.
2: Right. It was almost like this certain irony that their goal is to just be some previous version of themselves and i think you know i don't know if i heard from the band again and i I don't know much matters um i mean i still hear their songs once in a while and i'm like well that was cool and then of course the the logic then struck me is that because I was like, well, I th- I think we're all sort of doing that in some way. And maybe this is part of the crazy, sexy part is that we start learning that, you know, part of what we're doing is like we're trying to hold on to the things that we used to be. And I was just so one of the things that I had up there was like Morgano like almost flipped or lit over is that. You know, this last year during COVID, as as if you're a regular watcher of the show, you probably already know that I buy I, I buy guitars and musical equipment and all kinds of ridiculous stuff. So I'm thinking about buying a really
1: like the space that we can have this recording keeps gets getting smaller and smaller because more stuff, more stuff
2: filling it. So And really, so here's the irony of all of this whole conversation. So here I am, basically rebuilt a recording studio with all this great stuff in it, with the, with the hope of recreating the songs I wrote 25 years ago that were not successful then, even in the slightest way. Like, you know, like for the nine people who heard those demo tapes, I'm here 25 years later to make superior versions of those demo tapes that literally like some of them were like, I recorded this 40 years ago, which is mind blowing uh, that this stuff still exists, Um, but it does. And so I think there is a piece of us that is kind of doing that, that, you know, like I honor this previous version of myself. to the degree that it's like, yeah, no, I want to record the best. I remember reading an interview and I don't think it was Frank Zappa saying this, but I think it was somebody who played with his band for an extended period of time where that person said, you know, I think what his goal was, was to create the greatest version of the music that he wrote with the best musicians possible. And I don't think he could care less whether or not any of those albums became like huge hits across the world. But he was trying to create this thing, like the best version of the thing that he was trying to create. And there's a piece of me that's like, oh, you know, I did some pretty cool stuff back then. And now I want to recreate this stuff as good as it can possibly be, even if it's a little tiny, unpopular legacy. It'll be my little, little legacy, at least one piece of that legacy.
1: And I think that's part of the freedom of getting older is now we start to do stuff for ourselves. Our motivation becomes less and less about like they call it extrinsic motivation, less and less about will other people like me and will other people approve? And now we're more of the screw that this is what I want to do. And it pleases me. So if I want to make music, and if I want to write a book, and I want to do art, or I want to garden, or I want to take West Coast swing classes, or I want to travel, it's because I want to do it. I have less time on the planet. And it was like a, a door open. The moment I turned 40, where it's like, whoa, I have less time on the planet to go on bad dates and be in bad relationships and make bad choices. I want to be able to really savor the time I have left. And I don't think we're capable of that when we're in our teens and our 20s and maybe even 30s. I wasn't. And so now it's like, wow, this life we have is a gift, especially when you've got all this crazy chaos outside it's like this is precious I only have this one body and this one time round that I can be certain of so if I want to make music I'm going to make music whether it makes money or not and that's a place to live from
2: right and so so to bring that back full circle our guest today is somebody who's not really you know who probably has some difficulties that not everybody has, but she's not letting it stop her, which I think is great. I mean, we're going we're going to Mexico yet again, as Morgana was talking about next week. Uh, and so we have Francine Falk Allen here, and are we going to bring her in?
1: We are going to bring her in right now, and welcome Francine. Hi. Hi. So. We were just talking about you before we brought you on. And the first thing I wanna, right? Oh my God, who knew? The first thing I wanna ask you is why, why do you love travel?
3: I think that I like to see a lot of different environments and cultures to begin with, but it also gets you out of your day-to-day grind and, um, and teaches you about how other people think and live
1: we couldn't agree more. That was actually one of the reasons that I I chose my husband here, Devin, uh, because we share your philosophy. Now, you had polio growing up, which I think is actually, it's timely to talk about with all of, you know, being in a pandemic and, and all the controversy, which makes no sense to me about vaccination. Like I, When Devin and I were growing up, we just had sugar cubes. Nobody complained about that. Uh, And that makes traveling more complicated for you, but you still do it. Can you talk to us about that?
3: You mean more complicated because I had polio. Right. Yes. Um, Well, I was determined. And the first trip I ever took on an airplane was quite awkward because I had a cane and I needed a sleeping bag and and a suitcase and a hat. And I soon learned that you could get um, a a suitcase that had um, wheels on it. They didn't have those, the ones that we have now, which are really convenient for travel. And it was like pulling a big dog behind you that would fall over with a leash on it and all that. But uh, I just, over time, learned to adapt. And now I have a travel scooter that I use, which is really great. And we just leave the luggage to the luggage handlers, so.
1: What is a travel scooter?
3: I have a travel scoot, and it folds down, and it only weighs about 35 pounds total. And when you take it apart, the heaviest part is only about 20, 25 pounds, so I can lift it into the back of my car. And when we take it with us on trips, we take the the battery out, take it with us on the airplane, and the rest of it goes into the hole just like a baby carriage. And it has really changed things for me. It makes it much easier because normally now, now that I'm older, I use uh, arm cuff crutches when I walk. Not all the time, but when I have to walk any long distance. And we were getting wheelchairs at uh, airports, which I highly recommend for anyone who has a walking difficulty. People should not be proud, just ask for the wheelchair. It's so much better to save your energy and be fresh when you arrive at your destination. So anyway, we were you know, getting the, the loaned wheelchairs that they have and you always have to be there much in advance because they don't always show up on time. And uh, getting the travel scoot was just a huge benefit to me.
2: Mm. So can I ask which countries you've been to? And of course, the most obligatory question of all time is, Do you have a particular favorite destination.
3: Oh, I've been to a whole bunch of countries. Let me see if I can find my list in here in my book. Um, I've been to Europe several times, and I have, uh, of course, been to Canada and Mexico. i've been to uh i can't find it right at the moment um i've been to india and egypt and israel and the middle east and uh i mean really probably about 20 25 different countries i love paris it's hard not to love paris And as far as, as, yes, as far as scenery goes, I love Scotland and Ireland very much. So Mm -hmm. those are, those are places. And the United States has incredible scenery. There's so much to see here. If you don't want to leave the country and you just want to drive, there's lots and lots to see. Mm
2: -hmm. Was there any destination that was particularly difficult to traverse just because of the road conditions uh, and your disability?
3: Well, I would say there's one section of Dublin that's really tough. And there are some other older cities that are tough. Uh, there's there's a place called the Temple Bar area. In I know
1: Dublin,
3: it. And yeah. it's lovely. There's a great pub there that has wonderful traditional music. And we were determined to get there. But boy, it was hard to take my scooter. My husband had to lift it up and uh down from curbs because the, the sidewalks were very narrow. And mm. that's not usually true in other places in Europe. They, they now have pretty flat sidewalks. And I think that's because women wear high heels now, you know, and not everything is cobblestone. But I haven't had that much difficulty anyplace else. But there are other other pubs in Dublin besides that one, so.
2: <laughs> right, so when you, you talked about cobblestone, can you traverse uh, cobblestone? Fairly easily? Or is that a complicated?
3: They're really difficult. They're really difficult. They're especially difficult to walk on. And uh, as I say, most of the cities in Europe now have sidewalks that are nice and flat. So you don't necessarily have to walk on cobblestones except for to cross the street. Some of the older cities, older and smaller cities, do have a lot of cobblestones. There are places like I will never go to Positano, Italy because it is all hills all the time and there are lots and lots and lots of stairs. So that's just not for me. And places that have a lot of bed and breakfasts are sometimes difficult because frequently bed and breakfasts have all the rooms upstairs. So we tend to stay in hotels, but there are bed and breakfasts that have downstairs bedrooms too. So we always check that out before, I always check it out before we plan a trip. So is there sort of
2: like a a list of questions or a list of things that you go through to make sure uh, your stay is comfortable, obviously. So, uh, you know, fewer cobblestones, the better. Uh, Downstairs bedrooms. uh, Is there anything else sort of like on your on your hit list of like, hey, these are things that are going to help me have a great trip or an easier trip?
3: When I go when I go someplace, I research it pretty thoroughly and I find out if there are particular things I want to see, I find out, for instance, if it's a museum, is what I want to see upstairs and do they have an elevator? And uh, if, if not, then is it really worth it for me to deal with the stairs? And if it isn't, maybe we should go to a different city. And um, uh, when we stay in hotels, I always ask for a room that is not too far from the elevator. And obviously if it's stairs, we don't even usually stay there. And um, uh, what else? Well, on my list is, is there a food service at the hotel or right next door? Because I don't wanna have to go two blocks just to get breakfast. For some people that might be nothing, a nice little walk. For me, it's a problem. So there are things like that. And then my next thing is, is there a pool? because my primary exercise is pool exercise, and I can mm-hmm. walk in a pool pretty easily. It's just harder for me to walk on land. so those are the things I usually ask for. And then we always look and see is our hotel near uh things that we'd like to see so I can just take my scooter because uh otherwise we might have to take a taxi or something like that. so yeah so you know the thing that pops
2: into my head is that. I'm imagining that there's a lot of people who are like, oh, it's uh, travel is difficult, it's challenging. Oh, this nice lady just gave me a list of all the extra works that she has to do, and you know, I'm kind of I'm I'm hearing it from that side. I'm also hearing it from the side of I love travel, meaning part of the research of the kinds of things that I'm interested in. That you know, that whether it be I, I don't know pubs or museums or parks or what have you. Like I want to know all of those kinds of things before I land. So even if somebody's you know able bodied and certainly like me, like I want to do that research in advance. Is there something that you might share with somebody who might have doubts in their mind uh, that might encourage them to, to travel in spite of their concerns?
3: I think it's worth it. I really think it's worth it. And and some people, you know, I don't blame people if what they love is to stay home all the time. But I do think it's worth it to expand your horizons a bit. And one thing that I tell people also is it's better to take one big trip than a whole bunch of little ones that are difficult. So it's worth it to save up your money so that you've got money for taxis and you don't have to worry about that sort of thing. And there are some places like in um, in England and Ireland and Scotland, they're really great about helping you get on and off the train. They will run and get a ramp to put down for you. Here in the United States, I have to say that the trains aren't quite as easy. I mean, I'm really lucky I have my husband with me because he helps me. But in Europe, especially in the UK. They're really great about helping with things like that. So I feel like people should not be undaunted. Just take your time, you know, look, look through what there's so much available online now. I really think it's worth it.
1: Well, and there's also because we're also talking about aging, by the way, I love the title of your book. I have it right here for the camera. No spring chicken stories and advice from a wild handicapper on aging and disability. On the aging point, the the novelty of going to other places is so good for keeping us young and alive and keeping our brain healthy. And it's super duper sexy. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's, such a great thing to do with the person you love having these new experiences including the challenges that's part of the excitement and the drama that kind of bonds you together and then you have stories about oh my god that thing that happens so would you like to talk about that
3: oh about um traveling with my husband in particular yeah Oh, yes. We we actually get along. We may get along better when we travel than we do, you know, hanging around the house, bickering about where did you put this. But uh, yeah, we just
2: we just did that like 10 minutes ago.
3: (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. So. So, um, yeah, especially since we got the scooter, because it was so difficult for me to walk any distance before. And he's kind of like a Labrador. He can walk a long ways. He's younger than I am. And uh, so we have a lot more fun now. We really do. You know, I just take the scooter and we can go just about anywhere. And it, it really is. I don't know. I mean, we do dates at home and um, go to, well, we used to go to movies a lot and, and we go out to dinner and we go hear music when we can and all that sort of thing. But seeing a new environment, I don't know. And especially when you don't know anyone else there, it really, it kind of pushes you together and you remember what it's like to have a really good time and do new things together. So yeah, I, I really, I, I love it. I miss it we we've only done an RV trip with another couple with it we caravan with them about a year ago and that's all the travel we've done because of COVID. so we're really looking forward to areas getting fully vaccinated and taking care of themselves, so we can go back and visit. Where do you want to go next. Well, we were going to go to Hawaii, but they're telling people, please don't come because they've had a big outbreak there. They they didn't have any very many cases initially, and they were doing really well on vaccination. But now uh, New Mexico also is supposed to be doing pretty well on vaccination. There are other places like Vermont, but I haven't that hasn't been high on my bucket list. I've been to Vermont once and and uh, we'll see. Maybe we will go there.
2: Right. So, has it been? A, has it been? Uh, I mean, for we we did tr- we've been traveling a little bit more and have some travel c- upcoming. Um, as soon you- as
1: we got our jabs, it was like as soon as I had the first jab and the second jab scheduled, I was like <laughs> online booking a trip for Devin's birthday. Uh, oh,
3: it's nice, so nice.
1: We went to San Miguel, which is where we're going next week to lead my retreat. That is a city that is like cobblestone. Everywhere, even I have trouble walking on that, Um, but very, very good protocols for vaccination. Um, Are there any places outside the country that you, that are like calling to you?
3: Well, I definitely want to go back to the UK and to Paris. If we if we couldn't go anyplace else, if we had to limit our future travel, we'd definitely go back there. Well, we've wanted to see Eastern Europe too. We haven't been there. Oh. Um, I would really like to go to the Mozart Festival, which I believe is in Salzburg. So um, one of these days, you know, we really, we just, you know, the whole world has to get fully vaccinated in order to make it really safe. We're thinking yeah. about just going someplace like, I mean, Marin County is really lovely. We go out and go for walks and stuff on the week. I say walks, I take my scooter, he walks. We go to places where there are paved pathways and get outside because it's a beautiful place to live. And we have a pool and we have a lovely garden. So it's kind of hard to beat, but we have thought about going up to Mendocino also because that's just a a short drive. That's only about three hours from here. And the same thing is true of the Monterey Peninsula. We've thought about going down there too. So and we're very safe. We don't we don't go in inside restaurants yet. If they have a, a patio, we do. So that's something that we need to do soon because pretty soon it's going to be winter and it'll be pretty cold to be outside. Right. So uh, can I
2: ask? Talking of the no spring chicken. Now you've written this book, and did I
3: also see that you wrote a memoir? Yes, I did. I did. Um, this one well this one's got a lot of tags on it for reading it at uh different places, but this is uh not a poster child living well with a disability a memoir and it it uh it talks about growing up with a disability and the challenges I face and uh also what it's like to be a woman with a disability. I have a leg that is uh partially paralyzed, my foot is fully paralyzed and um so i have a pretty bad limp and uh it makes a difference to people i mean they they have concepts about you which i talk about in that book that can be limiting and you have to you have to learn to develop compassion for people's attitudes too that's something i've found as i aged that people can't help what they think a lot of times so you have to just allow for that and find ways for them to be able to ask about it without feeling strange and get to know what your limitations are and what what you can do despite your limitations. So there were things, you know, dating was interesting. And, uh, and my husband was, you know, that was the least of his concerns about, uh, about my having a disability, but we did have to discuss it because it affected uh, whether we would have children and a, and a lot of things like that. So it, it, it certainly stimulates conversation.
1: Hmm. Oh, my God. And that I begs the question, how did you and your husband meet?
3: Oh, that was kind of fun. Um, I had a really great dress that I wanted to wear for New Year's Eve. And I called a girlfriend and asked her if she knew of any great parties. And the only one that I could find was about 50 miles away. And I found a girlfriend to go with me. And that evening, it rained cats and dogs. I mean, it was a really bad storm. And my friend called and she said, I have a date with a guy. I'm going to stay here in the Bay Area. I'm going to stay here in Berkeley. And and I said, it's only three hours until we go. So I found a ride with another guy that the hostess recommended. And he was cute. And we had a lot of things in common. And I thought, well, maybe this is going to turn into something. We got there. He was like hundred degrees the other way. I mean, he absolutely paid no attention to me the whole night, even though we'd had a rapport. So I saw he was on the hunt, you know, and uh, (laughs) I did one person the whole evening. And then uh, I went to the restroom, I was walking back out and the band leader said, we're going to play one more song and then we're going to break down. So we'll play CDs. And when I got to the stool where I left my chair, Richard was sitting on it and I'd seen him around the party and I thought he was cute, but I thought too young, too cute, you know? So he's sitting on my coat and I said, they just said, it's the last dance. Do you want to dance? And he said, okay, you know, so we danced and then he didn't pay any more attention to me. But the next, uh, within about a week, the hostess called me and she said she'd seen him at an after party on New Year's day, which I hadn't gone to because I had a potluck at my house. And uh, and she said that fellow was interested in going out with you and because she had said, do you remember Francine? And he said, yes, isn't she here? I was going to talk to her. So, you know, she gave me his phone number. I called him and then we started dating. So it was a New Year's Eve, you know, almost love at first sight kind of a <laughs> sideways thing.
2: May, yeah. may I ask how many years have you guys been together?
3: Well, we dated for five years before we got married. That was a lot of ups and downs. You know, it was also partly because we had an 11-year age difference and I had the Mm. disability, so we had a lot of things to talk about. And he had things from his background that we had to work out. So uh, we got married in 1997, so it'll be 24 years uh, this fall.
2: Wow. That is, so is there a secret? I, I totally get the ups and downs because, well, we have to, we have to navigate it. That's just part of the deal.
3: You
2: you just have to figure it out. So, so is there a secret to the success? Because, you know, I I would consider 24 years uh, really uh, a success.
3: I think making sure that you weed out any contempt you might feel. When you feel it come up in yourself or you notice it in the other person, you really have to Nip it, you know, that that I think is is the, the killer in relationships. It, it, when you start thinking there, oh, he's just, a you know, that kind of thing. That's that's really something you have to back up and say, I don't really feel like that. I don't want to feel like that. What are the things I love about him? And that's and forgiveness, I think, because people are going to do stuff that you think you can't forgive and you just have to. <laughs> Right.
2: No. And by the way, I would I would completely agree with you from the standpoint that at some point, if you're making a commitment like marriage. For me, there's really I mean, there's probably a couple deal breaker kinds of things, but in general, it's like, you know. We have to push forward however we do, you know what I mean? We'll have to navigate whatever, you know, difference of opinions that we come across, things like that. Um, I I wanted to go back a little bit to your memoir, Mm -hmm. Not a Poster Child. By any chance, is that sort of like a nod to another book called Poster Child? It isn't. It 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 isn't. Okay. All right. Because there is... um, there is a, a book by Emily Rapp, who I just happened to know, who oh. writes about a memoir of her disability. Uh-huh. So I wasn't sure, I, don't, I have no idea when your book came out. Um, but just to talk a little bit more about your book, uh, can I ask how, you know, when did you start writing it? How long did it take you? And what was sort of the, the moment where it's like, oh, I have to get this down? Because, you know, I've written a memoir myself and, and it's, it's a challenge. It is. It's a it's a unique challenge because at some point whatever you write you have to take responsibility for whether people appreciate your perspective, and I'm talking particularly a family or not.
3: Yes, yes. Well, that's that's a lot to unpack. Um, it took me I started it, gosh, it took me about five years to actually write it, and then I first of all I thought I was going to write an essay about. Uh, My experience of polio and being in the hospital, because I could remember back to when I was about two and a half. And I thought, you know, I may lose this memory someday. And I'd gone into the hospital at three and gotten out at three and a half. And so I started writing this, what I thought was going to be an essay. And later I realized I had four chapters, which was just that period. And then I thought, well, I think I'm gonna keep going and talk about what it's like to live with a disability and make it into a book. And then of course I looked for a publisher and did the whole thing. And um, in the process of writing a memoir, well, first of all, I had a good friend who used to be a book reviewer um, in Scotland and she lives here now. And she, she wanted to read the manuscript. And she told me at one point, she said, you're finger pointing Francine, because I, you know, there were a lot of things that, um, that I still had some issues about that, you know, people uh, discriminated against me for this and that. And, and I was kind of saying, I wish people would do this. And so I went back and I just went through the whole thing and changed the perspective on that and just said, this is how it is for me, not this is what I think you should do, or I wish you would have done, you know, that sort of thing. And just brought it all back home here. And um, the reason, I just wanted to tell you, the reason I chose the title, Not a Poster Child, was because when I was between four and six years old, people used to approach me all the time. And they'd say, I saw your picture on the March of Dimes poster. And I knew that it wasn't, and or I thought that it wasn't. I went to my mother and said, Um, am I going to be on the March of Dimes poster or am I already? And she said, no, no, that's not you. And you're not going to be. And what I realized even at six was that the thing I was identified by wasn't my face. It wasn't my personality. It wasn't that I was really smart in school or that I liked to sing. It was that I had a disability. So what people saw was, disabled girl, disabled girl must be the same person. And, and I just saw at that tender age that that was how people were identifying me and it bothered me. So that's why I, that's why I called it that.
2: I, I No, I mean, I think that's amazing uh, from the similarity uh, only because this woman who wrote Poster Child was in fact the March of Dimes poster child.
3: There were uh, several, there, I have met uh, two or three people who have had their photographs used for March of Dimes. They used a lot of different kids and little girls are cute, you know, so. Of course, of I, course.
1: I love what you said about your first draft being finger pointing because um, the first draft of a memoir is, is what I call vengeance vomiting. Yeah. Where (laughs) you you just you have to get it out before you can scale it back and then go, well, how does this serve humanity? Yes. But we need we need to vomit all the stuff out just to get it out and deal with
2: it. For me, it was the first two drafts. (laughs) where it was literally it like first three for me too right no for a lot of it was just like I hate you and here's why I hate you and here's why my <laughs> points are valid for hating you and you're a jerk on top of me hating you and then at some point it was like like this is like I could feel like ooh, I'm loosening up I'm loosening up my innards but then I realized would I read this And I'm like, oh, I I think I could read about a page and a half of my own writing. And then it had to really be about why, you know, I mean, without question, I think we have an unwritten contract with the readers of our work, which is uh, you'll keep reading if I write something worth reading. That's something that that somehow embraces you and your time and your value, as like the it. reader and, but it is, it's, I think, I think it's hard not to be able to write about a particular subject, especially when the subject is very personal without saying, yeah, I remember you, you jerk face.
1: And <laughs> we're, we're getting close to time. So I really wanna pivot back to No Spring Chicken, Stories and Advice from a Wild Handicapper on Aging and Disability. Why did you write that book?
3: I felt that I had a lot of information that could be helpful for people who were either aging or already had a disability. So besides the travel, there are a lot of uh, things that I have discovered about how to take care of oneself. The exercises that I'm able to do, I list in there, I have um, floor yoga positions, but I also recommend that people do chair yoga if they can't do floor yoga. And I talk about the, uh, the pool exercise that I do too, which I've found to be very regenerative. And um, there is a section on uh, support groups, uh, whether you are looking for people who like to bird watch or people who can't walk as far anymore, but still like to hike, um, how to find one or how to start one. And there's a chapter at the end about um, disability advocacy and activism and the, and the people who brought around the Americans for, with Disabilities Act. So there's a lot of stuff in there, it's a, it's a, and it's fun. I tried to make it fun where I could, so.
1: Well, you're a fun person. And I have to ask, because it's kind of what the show is about is in your experience, why is midlife love better?
3: I think knowing someone really well, it it doesn't take away the interest, it makes the interest deeper. You care more about what the other person wants and needs than you might have when you first met. I mean, it's hard to put your own needs aside when you first meet you're, you're, you're wanting somebody so you're wanting, you know, you're wanting things you're wanting a person you're wanting your needs met. And when you're older, you know what the other person likes and needs and you can put yourself aside a bit and, uh, and who wouldn't like that when somebody is trying to meet somebody else's needs I know when my husband I broke my foot recently and my husband at first was having a hard time with it but now he's like you want me to make you a cup of tea um what else and he you know when I take a shower he hands me the crutches so I can get in and out and and you know what's not to love about that so yeah
1: Mm. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you here, Francine. Um, I hope you will send us pictures of your travels and and keep us posted when when you start traveling again. We'd like to kind of stay in touch with you. Uh, For everybody listening and watching, go out and get Francine's book, her memoir, Not a Poster Child and her new book, No Spring Chicken. here again for the camera for those of you who are watching. Thank you so much. It's been really really just a privilege to have you on our show. Oh,
2: and and do you Francine, do you have a, a
3: website or Good contact question.
2: information, I Instagram, do. any of that stuff?
3: Thank you. I do. It's francinefalkallen.com f r a n c i n e f a-l k dot n.com and actually if you go to YouTube right now you can see my book launch uh, interview which was really fun and uh, you just go to YouTube and search Francine Falk Allen and it comes right up so awesome. yes and, and my if you if you go to my website you can uh, write back to me if you have questions or you comments or, or whatever
1: terrific and we'll have links to that in the show notes so thank you so much um keep traveling it sounds like you've got a great marriage and and you're living a great life no matter what so thank you very much
3: thank you thanks for the opportunity it was great to meet you guys in more or less person
2: right as close as we're gonna get for the time being for
1: 2021
3: yeah right thanks a lot
0: Thank you for listening to Crazy Sexy Midlife Love. Please sign up to join our free love family at crazysexymidlifelove.com to get alerts to live shows, call in and ask questions, or just listen in. And, ladies, don't forget to download Devin's free ebook Women Are Smarter Than Men and Other Secrets Marriage Minded Women Need to Know. Also available at Crazy sexy,